Welcome back to KWVA Radio. You're listening to More Than Meets the Eye, the podcast that seeks to uplift stories and connect communities through raw storytelling and investigative journalism. We're your hosts, Evan and Hyatt, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about homelessness with our special guest, Tim Black, the Emergency Response Coordinator for the Egan Warming Center. When most people think about the word homelessness, they almost always think about poverty, substance abuse, or lack of motivation. Today, however, we're going to delve into how this vast societal problem runs much deeper than it seems. Evan and I have always been particularly interested in pursuing investigative journalism, and we just felt like audio was such a great medium to relay information with. Yeah, for sure. And some people find it to be very limiting since, you know, you're relying entirely on the phonic elements. But I think it really opens the door for self-interpretation, and that really feels a lot more authentic and personal. In fact, when we were brainstorming ideas for episodes, we actually wanted to choose issues that are relevant in our community, Eugene specifically, and felt really genuine to ourselves. We've both been passionate about improving social justice and have volunteered at multiple organizations that allow for us to give back to low-income communities. And for this podcast, though, we thought it'd be especially eye-opening to interview and interact with individuals who have had firsthand encounters with these inequitable occurrences. So getting the opportunity to discuss homelessness with someone as knowledgeable on the matter as Tim is, is beneficial not only to ourselves, but to the listeners as well. I think what makes Tim such a unique person to interview is the fact that he represents, for lack of better terms, a quote-unquote normal person. And, you know, what I mean by that is the fact that compared to other people in this field of work, Tim didn't have any sort of educational or professional background working with homelessness. So now he's just going to kind of explain how he got into the work and what exactly it is that he does. Uh, I actually uh, worked at the uh, here at the U of O for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, uh, went down to California and I worked at Cal Poly for a few years and we came back. I was very happy being a stay-at-home dad. And uh, my spouse was not quite as happy with me being a stay-at-home dad. So I just had coffee with folks I knew. Uh, including uh, Pete Kearns, who used to be the police chief in Eugene and worked at St. Vincent de Paul at the time, and said, hey, I've got something I think you might be interested in. And that was to coordinate Egan Warming Center. So Egan Warming Center is our community's uh, low-barrier emergency winter shelter system. And low-barrier means that absolutely everybody is welcome, no matter what. They can be drunk, high, psychotic, whatever, Mm -hmm. so long as once they're inside, they support the safety of, of everybody inside. So we get people when it's dangerously cold, below 30 degrees, that have somehow survived all that rest of the time, but they need help that night, and they find their way to us. It started with Egan Warming Center, but uh, as you know, in the last few years, um, we've had some other things come up. So we've had to open shelters at the last minute because of um, wildfire smoke. There's people who can't get inside and escape the smoke. So I don't have a history of working uh, with the unhoused. I don't. It's not in my uh, educational background. It's just something that you know. I always say that the winds blow me where they may, and I I land, and, and so I landed in this job. As you know, there are many misconceptions that come with homelessness, whether it's how it's perpetuated or how it presents itself within communities. Both the media and societal values generate a lot of confusion around this issue. So when we asked him about his opinion on the matter, this is how he responded. It's because of the the growing uh, inequality in uh, economics, and I think it's because of the the growing problem of a lack of housing at all different levels. Every the, the studies that that you know look at these things and address some of the, the misperceptions um, that some people have about homelessness. That if you have good programs, if you have aid and support, you're just going to attract more. 
and you're going to have become a magnet for homeless people. Well, that's not what the numbers say. These are people from our community for the most part. They may be from the outlying rural areas, but they're still our community. And homelessness across the U.S. can be directly linked to just housing capacity at all levels. Where there's not enough housing at lower levels, there's homelessness because there's no options for people at that lower level to get into housing. So I think it has um, increased in our community, and I think the focus has increased in our community, and we all have seen it with the tent encampments. I think the first time that that sort of thing happened was with the Occupy movement. Back when here, I was still working on campus. We had a tent encampment on campus, and people were like, oh my gosh, what do you do? Because uh, you want to be compassionate and like, well, we can't just you know kick them out, but where? And that's, I think, where a lot of people go in their thinking is, well, we just have to find a good place to put them. Park them outside somewhere in the corner of the community where they're not going to bother anybody. Well, that doesn't work either, and it's not, um, and it's not humane. As you said, kind of one of the biggest misconceptions in homelessness is the fact that society has this kind of fixed preconception that says that the only reason someone could possibly end up on the streets is because they themselves did something to get there, such as drug addiction. Exactly. And in reality, the causes and perpetuations for homelessness are rarely personal faults. It's really easy to use the government as a scapegoat when blaming someone for a large unhoused population. And while some government money is allocated to help mediate the crisis, a lot of the time organizations that work directly with unhoused individuals rely almost entirely on donations or volunteer labor to help keep their doors open. Yeah, and most of the entities that work directly with the unhoused population in Lynn County, well, they are funded through religious organizations such as St. Vincent de Paul, like Tim is about to explain. We are a Lane County funded program, but there's a lot of behind the scenes support that happens from St. Vincent de Paul, um, just because it's, you know, it's our largest nonprofit organization in the community. So there's a lot of staffing, logistics, supplies and vehicles and all of that that happens behind the scenes. But when the shelters open, that's volunteers inside there. Before COVID, we had nine different sleeping sites spread out around the community and we had more than 300 volunteers every single night. Uh, that's a lot of volunteers. COVID, of course, changed a lot of that. We couldn't get into a lot of those churches, and we lost a lot of our volunteers because many of them are older and retired and just couldn't safely do it. But we've never had to turn anybody away, even during COVID. And I'm often puzzled by that. And I'd like to think it's a positive that, you know, there was so much effort made on helping people shelter in place that, that it worked. But that was a scary time. It was a scary time for everybody because of COVID. It was a scary time for our volunteers. It was a scary time for my family because we weren't home, secluded, locked. We were out there making the shelters open even during all of COVID. And there were efforts to, you know, test and check the temperature and if people were coughing, but there were no real solutions. You know, like I said, Egan starts when everybody else closes down and every other office is closed. We welcome people inside, even if they were coughing, even if they were this, mm -hmm. because that's what we were there for. And we hoped for the best. So as Tim kind of explained, organizations like the Egan Warming Center are really a foundational resource for unhoused individuals within Lane County. And even in the most dire weather conditions or during global pandemics, those who volunteer or work for places like Egan continue to persevere with dedication to ensure that everybody can have access to, you know, warmth, food, and support. And obviously this is no easy task, and as Tim is going to get into, People, especially the media, tend to turn a blind eye to the amount of emotional labor that is actually required to be poured into this kind of work. The emotional support from the community does mean a lot. 
it really does mean a lot because it's hard when it's cold and icy and you can't really drive, but you still have to get out there and drive. Um, or it's 3 a.m. and, you know, they need help at some site and you have to go over there and it's just, it's hard. And so it's nice that the community recognizes what an amazing program it is and that does feel good. I understand feeling overwhelmed by the enormity of the issue. And the solution is to just focus on one person at a time. And that's, you know, one volunteer can help one unhoused person one cold night at a time. That's all you can do. You, you can't get bogged down by the enormity of the whole thing. You just help somebody when you have that chance to help them. In my job, you know, one of my things that I'm hard on myself about is you think that, oh, I've got all summer to, to get ready and do things better and get organized. It, it never works. And once it's October, I start worrying if we've done enough, if we're ready, because I don't want to waste the volunteers' time and I want to be all ready to go for that first cold night. And, you know, two weeks ago, it was actually below 30 when we normally would open, but we weren't quite ready. Uh, normally we say that the Egan is ready to go November 15th. October has surprised us a few times in the last few years, and we actually have opened in October a couple of times, but this time we weren't ready. So we missed a couple nights last weekend when it was cold. So I don't like that, but, you know, we do what we can. For many of us, talking about or even seeing homelessness can be stressful and confusing. Oftentimes, when you're walking down the street and come in contact with an unhoused person, your first reaction might include some level of fear just because you feel as though your safety might be at risk. Well, here is Tim's personal experience with the matter. So it's, I think we're used to seeing the media talk about that it's a problem. It's a problem for businesses. It's a problem for the, the parks and the, you know, the landscaping. And it's a, it's a problem for public safety. And it's a problem for the whole community. And, you know, and I fall into that too. I'm not different than anybody else. Even this is, you know, this is what I do, right? This is my work. But I'm just like everybody else. When you're stopped at a, you know, traffic light and there's somebody there with their sign and you're like, oh, do I make eye contact? Do I, am I supposed to give them money? Am I supposed to? It's fine. It's okay for people to feel awkward and like crap at that moment. That's okay. And there isn't a great solution. But people aren't problems, they're people. And so it's if people, I think, understood more and reached back in their own experiences, most of us, I think, have somebody in our lives, a relative or a former neighbor, a former coworker, former whatever, who might have experienced homelessness at some point because they lost a job or they had mental health or substance abuse or whatever the case may be. And so it's we share the responsibility and I think we should share helping them in that time of need. For all of my worrying before the leading up to the winter, once we start, you just kind of get in go mode and you stop thinking, you just do, especially when it was 31 nights, a record, we just didn't get any breaks. You know, you might get one or two days off here, but then you have to open again. And you're just so busy that you don't even stop to think about it. I'm just as hard on myself as everybody is on and themselves. And so um, it is nice when the community recognizes what Egan Warming Center is and what it does. And I think people love Egan Warming Center because they recognize that it's volunteers out there doing that and they really do appreciate that. I also think what's really important is to acknowledge how far just a little bit of empathy could get you um, while being momentarily struck with panic when you feel your safety is at risk is normal. Societal customs have conditioned us to think that said panic stems from people who are somehow inferior to us simply because of their living arrangements or, more specifically, lack thereof. 
but it is possible to feel uncomfortable around unhoused people while also treating them in a humane manner, and I think that's what's really important. Obviously, people like Tim take that empathy one step further and dedicate a lot of time and energy into helping unhoused people. Here is Tim talking about the specific nature of his work and what Egan's Warming Center is truly about. So Egan Warming Center, it, first of all, it's named for Thomas Egan, and you might mm -hmm. have done that, a, a veteran who was found frozen to death in 2008 in the, in the Whitaker neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There had already been a, a loose network of, of churches in Springfield that were working to put together a shelter program. Mm -hmm. And then that became Egan Warming Center, supported by Lane County, and then St. Vincent de Paul was asked to run it. So, and it's not atypical for programs like this, I think, around the country that came from the faith community to start with, which meant that we were dependent on churches and other places of faith that had space for us. And First Christian Church is a big white church downtown right there, you know, Willamette between Oak and Olive, um, Oak and Willamette. They used to be the downtown shelter. Um, I've always been a great um, supporter of, of programs that, that help the unhoused. But, you know, new regulations, they didn't have a sprinkler system in the basement, and so they couldn't have, they couldn't use that as a shelter, and we lost our downtown space. We had another um, church, St. Mary's Episcopal, you know, pretty close to there, um, but then that stopped with COVID. We lost a lot of our sites with COVID. And so, yes, we would love to have a dedicated downtown space, both in Eugene and Springfield, but that's expensive. The government isn't just going to give us a space uh, and other providers don't just have a space that's available because they would need it um, and we're only and we're seasonal we're during the winter and so that's why we end up depending on churches and places like that because we're in the evening you know we start when everybody else usually goes home and so the space is there so we um, continue to use shuttle buses behind first christian church they're still helping um, that's just where folks from downtown can go when we're open and hop on a shuttle bus, uh, just like a small you know, airport shuttle bus, and take them out to the sites that we do have open, which are further out. And um, Lane Transit District, LTD is a great partner. Um, they always provide us with riding passes for our guests so we can hand those out in the morning so our guests uh, help them get, their, get them on their way um, after. But that's not the same as having a dedicated space there where people are. We, um, we experimented last year because of First Christian Church. Um, they opened um, a room, just a, a small room they had on the street level. So it wasn't down below and we called it a non-sleep room. So we didn't have sleeping pads in there. It was technically not a sleeping room. People could just come and hang out for, you know, half an hour or five hours. Mm -hmm. Just come, get warm, watch movies. That was great. But um, last year was the record year for how many nights Egan Warming Center opened. It was 31. Um, That's incredible. Well, yeah, and I mean, 31 may not sound like, uh, you know, a, mm -hmm. a ton, but the program was set up with about 15 nights total mm -hmm. over the course of a winter in mind, and that 15 was just based on how many nights they thought you could sustain a volunteer-run program. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason that our temperature protocol was set where it is, below 30, because at the time, that meant about 15 nights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I get asked all the time, well, why isn't it? freezing why isn't it just below freezing well even if we tweaked it by one or two degrees most years that would more than double the number of nights were open because there's so many nights right in the edge so we miss uh, some nights that are right there above that mm -hmm. but we're not going to miss the nights when it really is dangerous in the, the low 20s or the teens um, and so 31 nights that was the new record it was really hard on the volunteers 
it was really hard in First Christian Church because that was a lot of nights for them to open that room. It got very popular, and the real problem was the mornings. Um, you know, we were based on low temperatures, and the low temperature if it, at any given day is usually about 5.30 or 6 in the morning, right, when we're waking up our guests and asking them to go back outside before the library's open, before there's any public place they can go. And so, no surprise, they would congregate, and that became an issue for the church and the surrounding businesses. Mm -hmm. So this year they said, well, that was nice last year, but we're not going to do that again. Um, so we're always struggling to find downtown space in Eugene and Springfield. We've been fortunate in Springfield to have use of uh, what's called the Memorial Building, which is um, right across from the post office. Um, it used to be a school. It used to be um, a Willamette Lane um, recreation building. And the city just hasn't quite figured out long-term what they want to do with it, sell it, develop it. Uh, and so they keep, at the last minute, offering it to us for use as a warming center over the winter, which is great because it's perfect. But we know we're not going to continue to have that building and don't have a plan for when that's done. And the problem with the old Egan model of um, depending on churches and other places of faith is um, their membership is continues to decline across the board, especially mainline Protestant churches, which have, has been um, most of the, the churches involved. And Temple Beth Israel, by the way, is one of our sites. We use it mostly as a backup site. Um, so they have aging members, um, declining members. They just don't have the capacity to, to do this anymore um, and to do that, and some of these churches are even closing. So um, it's long-term. You know, most communities, I think, have already switched to more of a staffed model, but that takes a lot of money and a lot of staff, um, especially if you're going to try to open every night. So it's a real challenge. Um, you know, but I do, I do tell people on a regular basis, and I believe it, that we are fortunate to be in a community that it is talking a lot about this and is trying some different stuff. Um, you know, we get dinged a lot for um, having, you know, the highest um, population, their percentage of homeless in, in the U.S. And sometimes I think that maybe that's just because we work a little harder to count. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we try different things. And anytime you try something, you immediately put a target on it for all the naysayers to have something specific to point to and say, hey, look at that. That's not working. Look at that ugly fence and look at this and look at that. Mm -hmm. um, well, at least you're trying something. So Tim has provided us with a multitude of ways to help tackle homelessness in our community today. But the question of whether or not homelessness will ever be truly eradicated still stands. You know, we can volunteer at the homeless shelters. We can donate to the homeless shelters. But what is the end game? To what end is this all being done? Here are Tim's thoughts on the matter. You know, it reminds me of the conversations um, around race that we've that we've had and we're continuing to have. And how progress is made when people stop blaming someone else or themselves or putting words in someone else's mouth. When people think, well, it wasn't, it's not my fault. I didn't create this problem. Mm -hmm. Like the part they're not saying is, well, therefore I don't have anything to do with it. It's like, all we're asking you to do, all we're asking the U of O students to do, my daughters, all we're asking society and communities to do is really look and listen and get an objective view of what's going on. It's not about blame. It's not about um, saying it's their fault or your fault. It's about everybody recognizing what we're dealing with. And then together, 
making different decisions to address it and to not let it get worse at a minimum. And I mean, the, the fact that people don't understand that that the bank's always going to win, and so trickle down has not worked, right? I mean, it's I don't have to convince you, I think. Um, so I won't go there in that little soapbox. But mm-hmm. um, I think we just people have to understand. I well, not understand. I just wish people knew that we're letting it happen by not doing something different. And there's so many complex, boring solutions out there that are required from, you know, campaign finance reform so that we actually elect people who are going to make good decisions for our school boards. You know, it doesn't work the opposite. We're not going to, you know, hire or elect good people for Congress and then have them come and make the school boards work. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. If we can't even have good local elections, we're never going to have good national elections. So we need to start empowering the people who have really good ideas and energy to do good stuff and hold them accountable. And that's not what we're doing right now. So many people are genuinely concerned about the inequities that homelessness perpetuates, but often they don't know what to do to help. And tackling something as big as this may seem daunting, but everyone, no matter what background they come from, can actually do something to make a difference. And Tim has really emphasized the importance of community engagement through volunteering. So now he's just going to expand upon how you can get involved with this sort of work. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, we love having new volunteers, and we, you know, it's hard because we activate on a moment's notice, two days, and it's only here. And I remember what it's like being a student, right? You're like, oh, I'm sure that they'll understand that I'm going to turn this paper in late because I'm going to go volunteer. Um, so it's hard. But if people are interested, um, we have new volunteer orientations, which our volunteers need to do. And one of the things that we started with um, COVID our Zoom orientations, and they're so successful that we've continued with that. We actually have our next one scheduled uh, in a couple weeks on the 14th of November. And if people just go to our website, which is Egan Warming Centers with an S.com, it's listed there, and there's a, a link that you can email our volunteer coordinator and get on the list. So, from the comfort of your own home or wherever, um, 90 minutes, we pack a lot of information in um, of what, it like, what it's like, what volunteers do. And then the hardest thing is just to sign up for that first shift. Mm-hmm. It's daunting. I get it. Um, it can be a really hard thing to get there. And, you know, I think people, I think once somebody comes to that first shift, they're going to come back at the same time. You know, I tell people that because some people, you know, I think that they go thinking, I'm going to go home feeling so good that I did this awesome thing. And they may go home feeling like crap, especially mm-hmm. that first time when they really see the condition of people, especially in the winter and the, um, the condition that, you know, their hands and their fingers and their feet and their toes. It's cold weather is really hard on folks and wet cold weather is really hard. But they're still going to come back because they know that they did something very tangible. They helped a person that night and they're going to know that. I wish that we would not call homelessness a problem. I wish that we would recognize that it's a person who is currently struggling and the sooner we help that person with their struggles, the easier it's going to be for them and the, the better it's going to be for all of us. So yes, U of O students, sign up. We want to give a big thank you to Tim Block for joining us on today's episode. We believe that homelessness is an important topic to be educated on. Thus, we really appreciate him coming to share his knowledge with our listeners. Hopefully you got a better understanding on this complex topic and feel inspired to get involved within your local community. 
And finally, we hope that you were able to see that there indeed is more than meets the eye when it comes to homelessness.